The market struggled this week to find its footing after the surprising numbers from last week's Pro Farmer Crop Tour, but a couple more very reputable surveys with corn and soybean estimates came out this week to tell you about. Demand has been a big concern, and lo and behold, one of the better weeks for export sales this week. And China's problems will likely factor into the global grain trade in the next few months. We're just not quite sure how yet. Coley and Kavanaugh are here to help us understand that. And the guys are brought to you each week by the Allen County Farm Bureau. You know, they were very helpful as I put together the Farm Bill Roundtable at Huntington University. And uh, Randy Crone was there, talked a lot about the Farm Bureau's lobbying efforts for farm families, not only on the state level, but as well the national level. So, you know, the Farm Bill is a big deal for the Farm Bureau. So a Farm Bureau membership is very important, and it starts right here in your own home county. My membership is through the Allen County Farm Bureau. So I encourage you to become a member of your local Farm Bureau. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. John, I think I want to start out with you, you know, because it's difficult to know for sure exactly what is really going on in China. We've talked about that at length. But, you know, given a couple of things here, the 70-day drought resulting in severe crop losses, the massive regional shutdowns because of COVID in China, and even if these things are only half true, much less twice as bad, which sometimes normally the case with China, that has to have a profound effect on trade dynamics. You know, if China has slowdowns and, well, if they're missing a bunch of corn because there's all died out in the field. That certainly is very true, but we just don't get very good accurate information out of China. But one thing seems to be certain is that they do have a distressed economy, and certainly uh, all the COVID shutdowns has got to be hurting demand. All the information we get is is the demand is down. The USDA has even lowered the amount of soybeans that China will end up having imported for this year and then again next year. But on the other hand, we see them stepping into the marketplace the last two weeks and buying 40 cargoes of soybeans out of the U.S. and Brazil over the last two weeks. Yeah, it's amazing. So, therefore, the demand is still, it may have slowed down. It may not be what it was going to be, but it's still got to be uh, pretty strong. So, when they do recover from the current problems, that uh, we can probably see a surge in demand coming from China. But then again, corn stocks, what's the situation there? Nobody seems to know that. World corn stocks are declining. We're down to 306.7 million metric tons. That seems to be a comfortable amount overall. However, it's believed that China claims they still have piles of corn sitting around. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> when you take out those those so-called China stocks that are there, it takes the world corn stocks down to 102.5 million tons, which is very tight. And we don't even know if China has as much corn as they claim that they do have. So that keeps everybody guessing. And two, David, if they decide that they're mad at us over Taiwan and start to source all of their food elsewhere, it'll still have a ripple effect on global trade. It would be a jumbled up mess at that point, David. And some are saying that even if China does take military action against Taiwan, and of course we defend them, that China would still buy from us. I don't know if I can believe on that. I believe it. They need it. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And they have to eat. So again, it's a political military type situation. But on the other hand, it's food security, which is what we're dealing with here, I feel, ultimately. Yeah, now some of the information that we got this past week was global use is expected to decline 15 million metric tons. Stocks are expected to be down 5.16 million metric tons for the 2021-22 marketing year. A little bit of a puzzle there, you know, again, we really don't know it, at least at this point. But John, one of the interesting things that we also heard this week was Brazil is going to be cranking up planted acres substantially. 
Oh my gosh, is that ever impressive? We all know soybean production in Brazil has just gone up and up and up and up over the last 30 to 40 years, and it just uh, continues to soar. It's estimated that Brazil will have produced 126 million tons of soybeans, which will be a new record. But listen to this. They're anticipating that Brazilian soybean acres uh, this coming year, the 22-23 crop year, will reach one. 100 million acres. Compare that what? to the U.S., you know, which is what, 88, yeah. 88 planted acres, and they're looking at doing a 100 million planted acres. The equivalent of USDA in Brazil, CONAB, has estimated production of soybeans this coming year in Brazil to reach 150 million tons. Holy mackerel. That's up 24 million from this past year. That's a huge increase. Ironically, uh, StoneX, in their estimate, they think that the Brazilian production may hit 153.6 million tons. That's a huge increase. Right now, that's operating as a bit of a hammer over the soybean market. Where's this coming from? It's coming from acres, of course, but only a two and a half percent increase in acres. I thought it'll be more than that. Yeah. But they're expecting an eleven percent higher yields. Can you buy that, Dave? No, because the weather in Brazil is so hard to gauge because it's so large of an area and you can't really predict the weather. And they're assuming, I think, they're a perfect situation when they're talking now those big of numbers, John. Dave. I think that's a bit optimistic. Yes, that kind of a yield increase. And so we're gonna we have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, well, that would pretty much spell the end to $14 soybeans, I suspect. David, the first triple dip La Nina in this century, you got to have perfect weather if you're going to expect to have those kind of yields in South America. What does this triple dip La Nina mean to the weather, not only in Brazil, but here in the U.S. as well? Oh, yeah. And then Australia, it affects Indian weather, too. I mean, it's just amazing how this bit of water off the west coast of South America does so much around the world. But if you get La Nina, then it's going to be drier. And that's the pattern we've seen now for the last three cycles. We barely went from really deep, cold water that went to neutral, then back to deep. And now we're going back again. In fact, this water is getting even colder than it was before. Now, the relationship here is very, very strong. It doesn't mean that we're going to have a disastrous drought in South America, but it does point toward drier weather there. It points toward drier weather over the Southwest, which we know already the problems they've been having there. So that means weather is going to stay dry on the Southwest. We're going to say a little bit better winter-wise and see more rain potential and more snow this winter based on La Nina and seeing what it gives to us. Like John said, that's a bit optimistic thinking you're going to have those kind of yields, but we shall see. And factoring that into, you know, stocks, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, uh, Chip Flory had some interesting things to say this week. He said for the 2022-23 marketing year, the U.S. corn stocks to use ratio sits at 9.6%. Now, you know, we've talked about this before that typically a ratio under 12% really kind of suggests the need for more acres in the next growing season. His conclusion is is the corn supplies are likely to remain tight, as we have spoken about so many times, and at least tight enough or long enough to limit downside price risk through spring for corn. Are you buying that? <laughs> this crystal ball, the people that use crystal balls tend to eat crushed glass a lot of times because they smash <laughs> that crystal ball after a while. <laughs> so, but I think they're pretending the future more than what they are portending at this point, Rob. So, John, are you buying that? Oh, yeah, I buy that. I think there's a little question that uh, with the hot dry weather we've had, particularly in the Western Belt, and we've had enough yield loss out there that we're going to keep corn supplies very tight through this coming year. And we're going to go into next planting season with the same situation as this year. That is no room for error. And so that's going to keep prices higher to try to buy more acres. Speaking of that, we got our crop report coming out. Our next estimate, the September USDA estimate, comes out on the 12th. 
that's going to be very interesting. And uh, I'll give uh, the Stone X report. And Dave, you're going to talk about Allendale, but the Stone X came out with their estimate, and they lowered the corn yield uh, almost three bushels from their previous report to a U.S. average of 173.2. Soybeans, on the other hand, went higher to 51.8, yeah. which is almost dead even with the USDA. And the declines came in Nebraska. Kansas took a big hit. South Dakota took a big hit. And Missouri also took a hit. Now, locally, they took the Indiana yield down to 186. That was down about three bushels. But they put the Ohio yield up seven yeah. to 185. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I quite understand that one. In Iowa, the, the yield was lowered. However, it's still at a whopping 203. And Illinois was the leader. They went up. And their average estimated at 209 bushels per acre. And soybeans at 67. And by the way, they may have taken the Indiana corn yield down, but they put the Indiana bean yield up. Yeah. Uh, by three bushels to 61 bushels an acre. I don't know if I can buy that one. Okay. But you know, what's interesting about that is, is that this reminds me of their uh, USDA and how they dealt with Illinois here a couple of years ago. Remember when they went up like seven bushels one week and then they came down about uh, four or five the next week. You know, what's interesting also is Arlen Suderman was putting the uh, corn crop at about 170. So this is Stone X coming out of 173. That's who he works for. I got to believe there's a lot of arguing going on over that. David. How about the uh, Allendale numbers, David? I heard you report on those this week. Yeah, I was really glad to see them. I don't know anybody else that does as much surveying as they do when they do this report. They came out with a corn yield of 172.89 with a production of 14.108 and bean yield at 50.9. That's a drop from everybody else's. That takes you down to 4.435. And I don't know how many people out there listening to us know this, but John and I and you, Rob, will be at the Rimpke Farm this week on Wednesday. And we're going to be talking about our outlook. And one thing I definitely want to do is I've redone my spreadsheets that I use for supply and demand numbers. And I was just trying to put in pro farmers numbers. And I'm telling you, if you look at a 146, 147 yield on court, the stock usage ratio drops about three. I mean, not Whoa. six, three. It's the lowest I've ever seen. That's where it really gets scary if the crop yield goes below 170. Keep that in mind, folks. And also, I'll be talking about the bean yields from my perspective and pro farmer's perspective. So I'll tell you what, uh, don't miss that cover crop program. I will be glad to uh, speak to anybody afterwards, too. It wants to take me to tap. One more real briefly. Demand, you know, it's been a big concern, obviously. And of course, you know, we watch the export sales. You know, the only indication we got this week were the overnight flash sales because USDA's air quotes their new and improved export sales reporting system was new, but not improved. Uh, it actually crashed and burned. So does that make it a little bit difficult for traders to try and figure, particularly going into harvest, what any of these metrics we're talking about? Yeah, because even after they get fixed, I'm hearing a lot of people saying, well, how much is it going to be fixed? It's such a huge report on all export sales, including pork and beef, which we normally talk about. Now, they did come out this last week and say, well, by September 15th, we'll have it fixed. And I'm going, uh-huh, yeah, okay. right. Yeah. Well, David, you were talking, you just mentioned beef and pork, and that's uh, pretty interesting as we go into the Labor Day weekend. Uh, my preference is pork ribs on the barbecue, but a lot of people beef. You mentioned in one of your reports this week that Labor Day weekend's pretty much one of the last major hurrahs for beef until the holidays. But David, pork and beef have been volatile this week. I mean, not making you know micro moves. They've been going up and, and down in $2 increments this week. Just crazy volatile. Yeah. And the reason that is very simple, because as these retailers 
price in their meats. They do it at the beginning of August for Labor Day because they want to have it available for featuring and stuff. The week before the holiday is always a really bad week for meats because everybody's already covered their needs. They're not looking beyond that holiday. And it's amazing to see how these meat prices fluctuate because the market is so thin and the demand is so thin at that point. But the one thing I've been noticing, and the price differential between pork cuts and your other cut for beef are tremendous. I mean, you're looking at something like pork loin is like three nine nine a pound. You go for a beef loin. My goodness, you're all the way up over $13, $14. I think the market's finally realizing that these pork cuts are very inexpensive. I think people are starting to look at that. I think they're starting to take a hard look at it. Plus, we got October coming up, the National Pork Month. There's yep. going to be plenty yep. of featuring men. And the beef market's really afraid of that because it takes a lot of interest away from beef. So they're trying to plump up features because I'm hearing that in the next, last half of uh, September, there's been a lot of feature interest and a lot of demand for beef. But then again, they know come October, the pork market will start to take over the retail shelves. All righty. Well, I'm certain that we forgot something today, John Cavanaugh. You always get the last word, so you're up. <laughs> Well, since I'm the palm oil guy, at least uh, I've been designated the palm oil guy, I'll just throw in a little uh, tidbit about palm oil. You know that palm oil prices have been going through the roof. They've been extremely high over the past year. However, this past week, we had a big setback in palm oil prices. Supplies built up and increased, and prices dropped back by 2.3% this week, which is the lowest price now in a month. Wow. For what it's worth, that's a little negative on the soybeans. Thanks, guys. Calling and Kavanaugh brought to you by the Allen County Farm Bureau. And the Farm Bureau was very helpful as we put together the Farm Belt Roundtable at Huntington University here recently. Indiana Farm Bureau President Randy Crone talked a lot about the Farm Bureau's lobbying efforts for farm families on the state as well as the national level. So the Farm Bill is a big deal for the Farm Bureau. And so is the Farm Bureau membership. And that starts right here in your own home county. My membership is through the Allen County Farm Bureau, so I'd encourage you to support your local Farm Bureau with a membership. Simply go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Podcasts by Federated Media.